Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sal Sports and Stuff podcast. Been a little while since I spoke with you just in podcast form, but there's plenty of stuff at the podcast page from last week, and that's because I had the five-hour takeover, if you will, of WGR from 10 to 12 the instigators were off from 12 to 3. One Bills Live was off. So I took over, had a bunch of guests on there, including Warren Sharp, Sharp Football Stats, really good stuff on the scheduling inadequacies in the NFL. Uh, Nick Shook from Next Gen Stats at the NFL, an article he wrote with Stefan Diggs, the number three pass catcher. Al Zeidenfeld, fantasy football guy. Uh, we had Arthur Motes on, former Bills linebacker, now in the media after playing with the Steelers as well. And Thad Brown, WROC TV in Rochester, if you didn't hear Thad go off on the Tom Brady documentary that's being made, you need to go check all that out. It's at the South Sports and Stuff podcast, and it's from the radio. It's from WGR when I was on last week, but we threw it all up on there, so you can go check that out. And that's available on iTunes, Stitcher, at the WGR website, of course, Google Play. I've been asked by some people, how come I'm not on, or this podcast is not on Spotify, and if it can be. And to be honest with you, I don't know. I'm... I'm pretty green when it comes to that technological stuff like that. So I inquired with my company and really the answer I got was that it's just not one of the third party uh, companies that we work with. And I'm guessing that might be a competition thing. I'm not sure. Maybe that's going to happen in the future. I'm also not sure about that. But in the meantime, sorry, we're not on Spotify, but there's a lot of ways to listen and download, like I said, and please do that. Please subscribe to the program. That would be awesome if you did that and even throw a nice review up there if you could. Don't throw any bad reviews up. If you don't like it, that's okay. Just move on and pretend like you never listened. But if you like it, put up a nice five-star review, write something nice about your boy here, Sal. And uh, it is right now, today, I'm recording this on Thursday as I sit here. It's been the first not so great day weather-wise in Buffalo in quite a while. What beautiful weather we have had. I mean, amazing weather, 80 degrees, 90 degrees it hit just the other day. But today it's raining. And um, so you might hear outside where I'm working from what I call my office upstairs, our attic. I got Max's playroom on one side, my office on the other side where I record things like this. Uh, I have a window right next to me. You might hear some raindrops at times. So if that happens, you know exactly why. So what I'm going to do now is start a project that I've been thinking about doing in some capacity in some way, shape, or form, but I said, let's just get into it and see how it goes. Now, this is not completely revolutionary or new. Other people have done things like this, but I try to be as creative as possible during this pandemic time, 
and not having live sports. So what can we write about? What can we talk about? Look, there's no OTAs. There's no mini camp. There's no rookie mini camp for me to be talking with players and going down to the stadium and watching workouts and things like that. So got to be a little bit creative, which I really do appreciate. And I think it's this whole thing has, if nothing else, allowed me to tap into my creative side again. And I think that I lost that for a while, which has been good. So, but as we go on, there's less and less stuff to, that you can think of because you're, you're doing everything. So I'm trying to still be as creative as possible. And here's what I came up with. So starting in this episode, I'm going to look back at the 2019 Buffalo Bills season in game order, starting with game one with the Jets, game two, the Giants, all the way through to the last game against the Jets as well. And it's not just going to be a recap of the game. Sure. I mean, that's kind of what it is in a broad sense, but what really it is that I'm going to do here is I'm going to go through each game and basically tell you about my thoughts that week heading into the game, some things during the game that I saw, uh, a certain pivotal point in the game, and I said, you know what, when that happened, here's what I was thinking. Maybe some things that I saw on the sidelines that either weren't talked about at the time or now that I remember thinking back and going, oh yeah, I remember when that happened and I saw that happen or I heard that happen from the sidelines, but we never got to it on the radio or me writing about it or things like that. After every game, I write a column at WGR550.com. It's called Arrow Up, Arrow Down. If the Bills win, I call it, I start with the arrows up. If the Bills lose, I start with the arrows down. Obviously, last year, a lot more starting with the arrows up. They went 10 and 6, but... So I'll go through some of that as well. Um, But for me, I'm going to rewatch the game, think about some different things, take some notes, and then come here and tell you about some of the things I remember from the games. So that's how we're going to do this. I think this is a, a, a new, interesting way to put a spin on the 2019 rewatch, if you will. There's some other sites out there that have done this, some other people that have done this. They've gone through each game and said, oh yeah, let's take a look at back at what happened. That's what we're going to do, but I'm going to give you the perspective of me, the sideline reporter, the guy who's down at the stadium every day at practice, heading into the game, uh, after the game, some things that might've gone on or somebody said something. And then especially during the game, things that I saw and you get the point. So that's what we're going to try to do. And we'll start with game number one last year which was the Bills taking on the New York Jets at MetLife Stadium. In fact, of course, when the schedule came out last year, they had two games scheduled back-to-back to start the season in the same stadium against two different teams, at the New York Jets and at the New York Giants. And really, going into the game, to be quite honest with you, that was one of the things that I kept thinking about, which was, hey, this is going to be pretty cool. The Bills are going to go to the Jets, then they're going to go to the Giants the following week, I'll see what it looks like all in green, and then I'll see what it looks like all in blue at MetLife Stadium. It'll be an interesting dynamic because it's real, obviously, back-to-back weeks. The weather should be very similar, so we can get a good feel of how they kind of change over that stadium. From my perspective, I like stuff like that. I like thinking about the atmosphere, the ambiance, the the, um, the sights, what it looks like in each stadium. So I was really interested in looking at that from a standpoint of just kind of the aesthetics of the games from the green stadium and the blue stadium. Now, before all that happened though, I remember even thinking when the schedule came out last year, uh, this is, you know, in April, it shows up bills at jets week one, just like this year, jets at bills week one. In fact, think about it now, the last five opening games for the bills counting this coming year, only two teams, bills, jets, bills, Ravens. That's it. The bills opened with the Ravens in 2016 Um, the Jets in 2017, the Ravens in 2018, and the Jets 
2019 and the Jets in 2020. So there you go. It's gone basically Ravens, Jets, Ravens, Jets, Jets for the last five years counting this year. So this is a familiar opponent, especially early in the year. But when the schedule came out, I remember thinking to myself, all right, these two teams, this is going to be a really, really big game for the both of them. The similarities and expectations for both the organizations were really pretty fascinating when I thought about it. Both had traded a bunch of draft capital to move up in 2017 to select their franchise QBs. Both worked really hard at surrounding those QBs, Josh Allen and Sam Darnold, with protection or weapons going into their second seasons. It was all about the quarterback, and really both believed they could be playoff teams and would probably have to beat the other out to get that spot above them in the division to get the final playoff spot if you're not going to beat New England for the division. These were things that I was thinking about for the Bills, even so much as I really wanted the Bills to sign Jamison Crowder. Well, the Jets got him as their slot receiver. The Bills went out and got Cole Beasley, who you know is a very good slot receiver in his own right. But I thought Jamison Crowder would have fit really good in the Bills' offense. I have no idea if they tried or not. But the Jets did wind up signing him, and I thought, hmm, that's going to be a guy that's going to really help them. They had Le'Veon Bell. They signed C.J. Mosley. The difference between the two teams really, though, was when they approached you know, how they were building the Jets spent the money on the bigger names. They gave Le'Veon Bell a lot of money. They gave C.J. Mosley a huge contract. Um, they did go out and sign Jamison Crowder. They didn't really address the offensive line as much. The Bills did address the offensive line. They did give Mitch Morse a huge uh, pay, a, a huge contract. But, you know, it was really then after that, filling in with more, I guess, lower level types of deals and then really revamping the offensive line with John Feliciano and Spencer Long a little before free agency. Uh, they went out and they... Drafted, of course, of course, Cody Ford. Um, they had, you know, Quentin Spain came in. The Jets really didn't do that with the offensive line as much, but the, J- the Bills also didn't spend huge money on skill position players. John Brown, Cole Beasley didn't cost a lot of money, but they came in and they were going to play big roles, as we know. But then they drafted Dawson Knox. They drafted Devin Singletary. That was the difference between the two, but really what they expected, their organizations, where they were in their timelines of their life cycle, if you will, I think it was really similar, and I thought this game was going to be really, really big going in. And really, I think it turned out kind of like that because the Jets obviously went in a tailspin after they lost, but they lost Sam Darnold. The Bills wound up having a really nice start of the season, and at the end of the year, uh, they were really in the in that playoff spot the whole year. The Bills were really never out of that playoff spot, that fifth seed, if you will, uh, in the wild card position that they were in. So we get to the game. And I remember thinking all week, look, the Bills are probably going to throw the ball more in this game than they've shown in the preseason, but definitely what they've shown, you know, what they showed the previous year. And there were a couple of reasons for that. I just felt that, look, they're putting a lot more on Josh Allen. They're giving him more control of the offense. This has been a theme through the offseason. They're going to need to do this. And I think Brian Dable has said, okay, it's time. But the other reason was because I felt that even though CJ Mosley is a really good linebacker, that they could maybe take advantage of him by having him either in coverage or at least getting him out of the run game, right? So game plan wise to me, this was the right call. But oh my gosh, was I completely stunned like so many of you were when the Bills came out and literally called 18 straight passes to start the game. Remember that? The Bills called 18 straight passes. Now, a few of those turned into scramble runs for Josh Allen, but for the most part, I think he threw the ball 14 times, was sacked once, there was a turnover, scrambled a couple times, he had the interception. Josh Allen started on fire throwing the football. If you look back, you go to the first quarter in the play-by-play. Here are the first several plays. Allen, complete to Beasley for eight yards. 
Allen complete to Brown for 13 yards. Allen complete to Brown for nine yards. Um, complete to DeMarco for four yards, complete to Beasley for 10 yards. So he was one, two, three, four. He was five of his first five, and then he goes deep, and it's incomplete. Then the next play, he's sacked, he's fumbled. This is at the New York 26-yard line, remember. He's sacked, he's fumbled, Jenkins recovers, um, and I'm sorry, McLennan recovered, Jenkins stripped him, and from there, it's like, oh my gosh, it was going so well, you're rolling and I could really remember thinking to myself, wow, they're just, you know, moving down the field so well. I hope this doesn't just completely kill them. And now they're going to stall. And then what happened? Basically, the Jets, they go three and out. They give the ball back to the Bills. But on the very first play after that, Allen throws a little bit of a low ball to Beasley. Cole Beasley gets his hands on it, but not quite enough where his knee came up. It bounced it off the knee. And it went right into Mosley's hands. Mosley goes back. It's a pick six. And now, even though the Bills have basically dominated through the first five minutes of the game, the Jets are up 6 nothing after a missed extra point. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know what else could go wrong at this point? Well, more could definitely go wrong because the Bills, they come out, they're still throwing the ball, they're still moving the ball, but they get in another situation where they're in a nice position, 33-yard line for the Jets. They have to punt the ball away after a penalty on Cody, on, I'm sorry, John Feliciano. It's a a taunting penalty he gets 15 yards. I don't even remember what he did to taunt if it was warranted or not. Bills have to punt the ball away. Now the Jets go down. Uh, they have the ball again. And the next time the Bills get the ball back, or at least I should say, I think it was a couple series after that, the Bills get the ball. Yes, something bad can happen again. And that is a safety. Frank Gore gets tackled in the end zone. Now suddenly it is eight to nothing. The Jets are winning. And you're like, come on. The Bills have basically dominated this game. And they're losing eight to nothing. How is this possible? A little bit later on, third quarter, Jets, they put a nice drive together. Le'Veon Bell, he catches a nine-yard pass from Sam Darnold. They get a two-point conversion to make up for the missed extra point. It's 16 to nothing. At this point, even though the Bills are down 16 nothing, I, I can tell you, honestly, I remember thinking to myself, there's no way they can be out of this game, right? I mean, they have just played so well. All they need is a break. All they need is one play, something to get something going here. Because they were pretty much dominating on the on the um, on the field, other than the scoreboard, and the Jets were dominating the scoreboard. But it's only a two score game, and you're thinking the way the Bills can get back in this is they get one big play, they score a touchdown, they get a two point conversion. Suddenly, it's going to be sixteen to eight. Well, so it's sixteen to nothing. They put together a drive, they get a field goal from Stephen Hauschka to at least get on the board at sixteen to three. That's when things really started to change. So the turning point in this game came what I believe to be with 404 left in the third quarter. That's when the play happened with 404 left. Josh Allen goes deep down the middle to John Brown. It's incomplete. CJ Mosley has coverage. It hits him in the back. Basically Mosley then gets, he's limping off the field. And I saw this. So one of my jobs as the sideline reporter, a big job of mine as a sideline reporter is to basically watch for injuries and to report injuries to the broadcast center, if you will, you know, my producer and say, Hey, this guy, he limped off. Hey, this guy's getting looked at by a trainer. And we, we monitor that for a little while. And then if it's something that we really need to mention on the air, we do. Now, sometimes a guy limps off and he, hey, he waves off the trainer. He's okay. I'm not going to mention that on the air. There's no reason for that. But I remember watching CJ Mosley limp off the field after that play. And I'm thinking, Boy, you know, if, if Mosley can't go here, I mean, he looked like he was in some pain. If he can't go the next series, that could open some things up here. Because at this point, it is 16 to nothing. And that 
Hauschka kicks the field goal right after that, by the way. So I might have missed up, mixed up the timeline as I was talking, but it happens right when Stephen Hauschka, right before he kicks the field goal to make it 16 to three. But that play stands out because that was the turning point to me of the game when CJ Mosley went off the field. And again, let's go back to how we treat this. So I'm watching him go off the field and I'm like, hey, I'm telling Greg Harvey in my in his ear, he's our producer. I said, you know, Greg, CJ Mosley just went out of the game. And, you know, if he if they go back on the field, the Bills, and he's not out there, we got to mention this. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. The very next series, CJ Mosley's not on the field for the Jets. And they have a different middle linebacker. And you're thinking, okay, maybe the Bills can take advantage of this. We'll see. We say it on the air here. Hey, CJ Mosley's not out there. And then we get an update on him. And I think it was announced that he was questionable to return with the hamstring injury. But sure enough, here we go. What happens after that? Bills are down 16-3. They get the ball back. Start of the fourth quarter. Frank Gore, seven yards. Devin Singletary, 23 yards. Josh Allen, Throws the ball for 14 yards to John Brown. Gets another pass, a really nice one, to Tommy Sweeney for six yards. Singletary goes for 12 yards. Singletary on a swing pass for five yards. And then Singletary goes for 15 yards, setting up a Josh Allen scramble for a touchdown. And then you're thinking, okay, they are in this game. There is now 10-27 left. Bills kick the extra point. It's 16-10. to They're literally down six points after being down 16 points not too long ago, just a few series before that. And the game has totally changed because there's still no C.J. Mosley in the game. And I'm monitoring that. I'm watching that. You could tell that he was not coming back in the game. It's week one. The guy got hurt. It's hot out, hamstring. He's not coming back. The Bills as long as they can keep getting the ball back, they're going to have a chance. And even if it takes two field goals to get this game into overtime, that's what's going to happen. The other issue here is that I remember thinking this going into the game. It was a story in New York. Kerry Vedvik, who is now on the Bills after they signed him to a free agent contract, had just come to be the Jets kicker. He had not even had a chance really to kick at that stadium since they had a soccer match going on and they really couldn't get out there. And he had struggled with some field goals. He had been on a couple teams. He was just with the Vikings. The Bills had actually played him in the preseason game like right before that, basically, if my timeline is right. But in any event, this was an issue going into the game. He had already missed the one extra point. And you're thinking, all right, like the Jets, they might not even trust their field goal kicker here. And if the Bills can get the ball back here, they have a good field goal kicker in Steven Hauschka. We know he struggled later in the year, but they might be able to get a couple field goals together, if not a touchdown, to ultimately steal this game. And this is something really cool that I remember from this situation. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that I've said it many times. Sean McDermott's teams are always just the same way. They're, they're never too high. They're never too low, right? I mean, when, when good things happen, they get excited. When bad things happen, sure, they're disappointed. But you never see those huge emotional swings like we did maybe when Rex Ryan was the coach. And I remember when the Bills took over on this particular possession – they're down six points. They have the ball at their own 20. There's less than six minutes left. And I'm taking stock of the atmosphere and what's going on. And I could tell there was, I, I guess I'd describe it as a, a calming confidence on the sidelines. It just looked like everybody was organized, had everything together. They knew exactly what they wanted to do. They had a game plan set for this particular situation. And they're going to go out there and they're going to execute it. Like there was just never any panic whatsoever. But at the same time, you felt like that was happening a bit on the Jets side. There was some panic that was starting to happen and not like a helter skelter panic, but you just started to feel the tension in the air. And, you know, th this is 
in their home stadium and they had the Bills on the ropes. They let them go a little bit. Now the Bills are coming back and the fans, they were starting to get restless. They were starting to boo. You started to hear the Bills fans creeping up more from the Jets fans, really for three quarters, basically. It was basically just Jets fans. You could hear them and you couldn't hear much from the Bills crowd, but they were there. You could see a lot of the blue. Now you're starting to see that Bills crowd come to life. You're starting to hear that Bills crowd come to life. And I remember thinking, boy, like they they know they can do this, but let's see if they can make some plays. Sure enough, a few plays later, after a, a nice eight-yard run to open up the series, they cross midfield. And the Bills are at the Jets' 45-yard line. They're facing a second down after a penalty. It's second and 16 now. They get a nice pass to Devin Singletary, sets up a third down. It's third and four from the Jets' 38. And maybe you're watching on TV going, okay, just you know, get this five yards, get a first down. Or as I was thinking, you're probably in four down territory now. This is a really long field goal. You're down six points. Even if you only get two or three yards, you can go for it on fourth and short. Maybe you don't know how my job works here and what I'm allowed to do and not do. But in case you didn't, I can't stand in between the 30 yard lines. I can't stand where the benches are. Basically, I have to stand from the 30 yard line on one side to the end zone and on the other side from the 30 yard line to the end zone. Now I can cross, I can go and walk behind the bench, but I can't stand behind the bench. I can't stand in those areas during the play. So how I like to do it so I can get a good vantage point for my radio broadcast that I have to give information for is I like to stand right where the ball is as the teams are coming out of their own zone. So I'm right at the line of scrimmage, you know, and if it's a yard to a yard there either way, you know, I get that vantage point. Then once the ball crosses like the 35 yard line, because now I'm kind of looking back behind the offense. Once it gets to like the 35, I'm looking back because I can't stand, you know, closer than that. I can't go beyond the 30. I go to the other side of the field. So now if you imagine it, I'm watching the team in front of me get to about the 30, 35 yard line. Then I go to the other side of the field. So they're coming at me. So now once you're on that, that side of the field, that's where I am. And they're coming at me. Well, the bills had already crossed midfield. So I'm already on the side of the field where the offense is attacking and I'm on the bills sideline. Obviously the bills line up. They're in this third down and four situation. I'm not thinking they're going to throw the ball. But suddenly, as Josh Allen goes back, I remember thinking, oh boy, he's looking for a first down right here. And then I take a look and see him look like right at me almost. That, that's where John Brown was. John Brown is coming down the sidelines basically right at me. Josh Allen threw a football that, I'm going to say if John Brown doesn't catch it, that it's going to come right to me, but it was close. It was basically on that trajectory where I can see it coming. And as he throws the ball, I'm thinking, boy, Brown's covered. He's got to make a catch. But John Brown, what I couldn't tell was, that the ball was going to stop a little bit short. It was a back shoulder fade, basically. John Brown did a great job of stopping and turning around and catching the football right in front of me. I'm thinking, oh my God, then here comes a flag. And as John Brown catches the ball, there's a flag that comes out. There's a little bit of contact. He runs in the end zone. I see Bill's players going crazy on the sidelines. Like, here we go. I'm thinking, are they going to call him for offensive pass interference? No way. Sure enough, it wasn't. It was defensive pass interference. It was a good call. It wasn't the defense, but I was shocked that, J- that Josh Allen took that shot. And that was something they had worked on. They had talked about and they took their shot right there. They got it. They score the touchdown. The bills go up after the extra point, 17 to 16, but that was a really cool moment for me being on the sidelines. And that ball was coming right at me. And I saw John Brown. And I'm thinking, He's going to have to make a tough catch here. And then he just stopped and turned around. And I didn't realize it was going to be a little bit more of a shorter pass intentionally for him to come back. To me, it looked like a 50-50, you know, jump ball, if you will, when it was released. 
by Josh Allen. So the Bills obviously kick off after that. Uh, the Jets get the ball. Uh, they have four plays. The Bills stop them. The Bills win. They go to 1-0. and And again, after the game, I'm thinking, boy, what a huge game this was for these teams. And I kept thinking to myself what I just said a little while ago. The Bills just never demonstrated any panic whatsoever. And this is going to be a theme, I think, talking about as I do this project and this series with you about how they never panicked in different times and situations. And they didn't in that situation. And it was just like, yep, yep, we knew we were going to win. Now, of course, you don't know you're going to win. And you can say that. But they were very confident throughout that game. They never let the 16-0 rattle them. They didn't let the interception early rattle them, uh, the pick six, whatever, the turnover, all that stuff. The Bills kind of just stayed with what they were doing, what they knew, and they ultimately came out on top. And then what I really remember, too, about this game is after um, the Bills got that touchdown, the number of Bills fans that just drowned out the Jets fans in that stadium was incredible. I mean, Jets fans headed for the exit, but some of them stayed. Obviously, a lot of them stayed, enough of them, because they still had a chance. But boy, they were just hightailing it out of there. And to be honest with you, as the game was going on, lots of fans started leaving. Maybe it's the New York traffic, and it started to thin out. You could see more blue in the stadium as the game was going on, but then you could hear more blue a little bit more after the field goal. And then after the Bills scored that first touchdown, you really heard it. Now it's a game. And then the Bills fans just really took over that stadium at the end. And it was a really good feeling to know this team started off 1-0 with a big win on the road against a divisional opponent. And after the game, I wrote my arrow up, arrow down column. And some of the things that I was looking at that I'll, I'll look at here is exactly what I just talked about. I gave an arrow up to their resiliency and how they were down 16-0, down 16-3, and they just basically stayed with what they knew, stayed with what they did, and they came out on top. The defense played really well that game. Some numbers to throw at you in this uh, opener. They allowed the Jets only 223 total yards, 68 on the ground. Sam Darnold only had 175 yards passing. They sacked him four times. uh, And of course, they held Le'Veon Bell to basically nothing. 60 yards on 17 carries is a 3.5 yard average. That was a really nice day for them. Josh Allen was tremendous in the fourth quarter when the chips were down. His fourth quarter numbers... 8 for 10 for 102 yards, a touchdown passing, 11 yards rushing, and another touchdown. Two touchdowns accounted for, 80% passing for 102 yards. And then how about Devin Singletary in this one? Now, he did drop a pass and then bobbled another one early in the game, but his first four NFL handoffs didn't even happen until the fourth quarter after Mosley's out, Gore's out, they give him the ball. Singletary actually started the game and played a lot, but his first four NFL handoffs... 20 yards, 23 yards, 12 yards, 15 yards. He finished with 70 yards on just those four carries. That's it. 17 and a half yards yards per carry. Um, Pretty amazing. Had 98 total yards from scrimmage in his NFL debut. John Brown had 123 yards and really showed up in a big way in his first game in a Bills uniform. I gave arrows up to Corey Bohorquez for how he played. Jordan Poyer, nine total tackles in this game. Matt Milano, the Bills were doing a lot. I'm sorry, the Jets were doing a lot of things to kind of... Maybe get Milano in an area where he could not, we had to fight through more traffic, but he did a good job of that, especially in some swing passes. Uh, he had a really nice game. Shaq Lawson, Jerry Hughes, I gave arrows up for. Hughes was dominant at times up front. He had three tackles, a, a one and a half sacks, a tackle for a loss, two quarterback hurries, two batted passes. Uh, Lawson batted down a pass. He had a sack, a tackle for loss, a quarterback hurry, four total tackles. And then, really, a guy that played tremendous in this game. Um, he showed up on the stat sheet with seven tackles, but really 
how he had to come into the game for Taron Johnson was hurt with Saran Neal. And in this game, Taron Johnson did go out, and that was going to impact this team for a while uh, in the season, early part of the season. And Saran Neal, we'll talk more about him as this project goes on and more games come up, but he got an arrow up for how he played to come into the game and play the way he did in the slot because, again, that's a tough matchup. He had to go against Jamison Crowder. He had to play the big nickel. He had to do a lot of different things. Uh, And the arrows down column for this game, I gave turnovers, right? I mean, Bills start off with that fumble by Josh Allen. They have the pick six to C.J. Mosley. Can't have that happen. Cole Beasley did not have a good game. Uh, He had a a drop that turned into the pick six. I'm going to call it a drop. I think it was... Uh, a drop by him, even though it wasn't the most perfect pass by Allen, he should have had it. He also had a drop late in the fourth quarter that would have resulted in a first down. Uh, they were not on the same page in this game, the two of them, and luckily they did get on the same page as the season went on, on obviously. Bills were not great on third down in this one. Seven for 17 were the Jets. That's 41%. And I gave an arrow down to not handing the ball to Devin Singletary a little bit earlier. And after what I just told you about his numbers, you can see why. So in my arrow up, arrow down column, I also include something called the big picture. And it's a lot of what I talked about it, which is how important this game was going to be. I think from a standing standpoint to start off on the right foot against this type of team, the two teams with their expectations. And that's what the bills did. So the bills start the season at one and zero in 2019, same team. They open up with again, coming up here in 2020, they're just going to reverse locations. Next episode, going to go back to the same stadium. It's going to go from green to blue. The Bills are going to face the New York Giants at MetLife Stadium. They're going to go 2-0, you know that, but we'll talk all about how that happened on the next episode of the Sal Sports and Stuff podcast. I hope you enjoyed this one. Hope you're going to enjoy this project and this series, and I'll keep it rolling. I'll let you know on Twitter, at Sal Sports, of course, when the next one is going to come out. Thanks for coming along to the Sal Sports and Stuff podcast for the 2019 Bills Rewind. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.